what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America show or host. For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome. You've entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simran Singh. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Learn to empower yourself, broaden your mind, open your heart, and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simran Singh. Welcome to another exciting show of 1111 Talk Radio. I'm thrilled to be here. We're going to be talking a bit about the subject that I love and find so fascinating, different ways that conversations with the universe appear to us and how that can be healing, it can be guiding, it can be powerful, empowering. And so before I get into who our guest is and what this topic is about, I just want to mention that we are off and running on the Rebel Road Tour. We are uh, now back in the States just finishing the Canadian part of the tour on the east side, and have had an amazing experience meeting people all over Toronto, Montreal, Ottawa, up in Halifax, just sharing the love, connecting hearts, connecting voices, and allowing that rebel spirit within to be birthed everywhere that we go. So definitely follow along at therebelroad.com and get your copy of Conversations with the Universe as well. My guest today talks about bird medicine, and this is another way that our symbol signs and synchronicities show up, but also that we are able to be guided to greater aspects of our healing and empowerment. Birds are our strongest allies in the natural world. Revered in Native American spirituality and shamanic traditions around the world, birds are known as teachers, guardians, role models, counselors, healers, clowns peacemakers, and meteorologists. They carry messages and warnings from loved ones and the spirit world. They report deaths and injuries. They channel divine intelligence to answer our questions. Some of their signs are so subtle that one could discount them as subjective, but others are dramatic enough to strain even a skeptic's definition of coincidence. My guest is Evan Pritchard, and he is the author of bird medicine, the sacred power of bird shamanism, and he's taught Native American studies at Pace University, Vassar College, and Marist College, and is the director of the Center for Algonquin Culture, steeped in bird lore. By his great-aunt Pearlie, he is the author of several other books as well, including Native New Yorkers and No Word for Time. You can find out more about him at algonquinculture.org. Welcome, Evan. How are you? Well, it's great to have you here on the show. Thank you. What a nice introduction. I enjoyed it. <laughs> Who was that guy? Well, you know, I love signs and symbols, and I love the way the world speaks to us in so many different ways. And I right. definitely uh, receive so many messages and such guidance from birds. And I'd love for people to understand 
Uh, what is bird medicine, first of all? What do, what do we call that? If we go beyond just saying signs and symbols, um, okay. talk about what you mean by medicine. Yeah, it has several layers of meaning, and one is that um, it's a Native American expression when speaking English. To say someone has the bird medicine, in other words, they have a gift for communicating with birds and reading the signs. And another is that the birds have medicine for us in the broad sense. And again, the, like medicine wheel, it's a broad kind of medicine. It's medicine for our hearts and sometimes for our physical bodies, sometimes for our minds, giving us information we don't have or for our uh, spirit. And so uh, birds are medicine for us if we know how to to receive the uh, the signals. And also the book is about bird welfare. It's definitely um, cutting edge in terms of bird environmentalism because it deals with a number of uh, hazards that birds face that are harming them that uh, most people don't even really know about. So all of those are bird medicine. Now you talk about uh, Native American background and upbringing and study as well as shamanism. Can you give the distinctions that might occur between the Native American view of bird medicine and the shamanistic use and view of bird medicine? Well, that's a really interesting question because, of course, the word shaman from the Altaic languages of Siberia is not a Native American word. But uh, we look at you know some of the practices and beliefs of uh, you know around the world in Siberia where the word shaman actually would be used. And people, uh, you know, there are certain people that are considered gifted. Sometimes there's a sign such as a cowl or they've been hit by lightning or something like this. And um, they also seem to have abilities. And so they're called, you know, healers. All that shaman means is healer. And yet there always seems to be these consistent practices in their healing, not only using herbs, which involves talking to the plants, um, not only communicating with anim- animals and birds for signs, but also the ability to travel through different dimensions to receive answers and to help with healing. And all of these things you see in uh, Native culture among certain nations, certain people, uh, so these same things show up. So it's like a cloud. It's like there's all this overlap between, you know, uh, you say Siberian, what I call shamanism, and the Native American medicine men. Um, so we don't want to say it's the same as the word shaman. Like, I didn't really grow up hearing that word all the time when I was little. You know, we just did certain things. And I hear this from other Native people, like, well, we don't call it that, we just do it. And when you call it shamanism, suddenly it sounds like this big burden, you know, that you're carrying around. But it's really a beautiful, easygoing thing sometimes. It just flows through you helping all creation to continue. That's what we say in Micmac. When you're helping to creation to continue, in most of the cases, you're healing the planet. You're healing the people around you. And the birds, apparently, from these stories that I've collected, uh, do the same thing. They, they seem to be working with us and by themselves without us to try to, make, to heal the planet, to make it a better place. And with the Native Americans, is it something that is intuitive? Is it that it is telepathic? How exactly are the birds communicating with us, or is it something that is we're going inside and interpreting so that we can connect more to that spirit? I see what you're saying, yes. Yeah, it, it is intuitive, and it is um, natural. And I would say, going back to your previous question, I think the biggest difference 
to me, between the Native American form of bird feminism and others, is that it's, it still seems to be totally in, intact, and it seems to be very prominent in Native culture even today. And I don't know about, you know, you could say the same everywhere in the world. So here in the Native American uh, culture, the, you know, it is very intuitive, and it's also the birds themselves. There's something that birds occasionally do, which one would have to say is a little bit like channeling, is that they are giving messages they probably couldn't really understand or know, but they convey them anyway. And that, so there's some kind of other force, some great spirit or cosmic force is helping them to do these things. It's not, to me, it seems like it's not all just the birds just doing this because they know better than us. It's, it's on a level where we're all one, where we're all connected. And so if you're intuitive then you understand better what the meaning of the message is. But the message is really there, in my opinion. It's not just psychological. It's, it's not sub- totally subjective, although I could understand why people would want to say it was. But um, my opinion is that there's something else going on. Does that uh, answer your question? Yes, absolutely, and I agree, too, that there is something else going on. I love one of the statements that you have in here, and it talks about how birds pray at dawn and how we hear their voices so loudly at that time. And I also find that there are times at dusk when we also hear those voices so loudly. What is it about the rising sun and the rising moon that the birds are really trying to get us to understand? Well, the Native American teaching, which I think may be unique, is that or fairly fairly unique, is that they see the birds as singing songs of thanks in the morning and also in the evening. Uh, but mostly the morning, there's three sacred times of day. You know, I think people in Native American culture recognize that sunrise, midday, or parent noon, and sunset. And it's generally seen that, you know, the birds sing at uh, dawn and at dusk. And when they're singing at dawn, they're singing hymns of praise, so to speak. They're thanking the Creator for the day that they're about to experience. And it's said in, in the book um, from one of the elders on um, Omaha uh, talking about the, uh, the old days before the influx of European birds, this chorus was yet more perfect and harmonious, and that we today no longer really experience the world that the natives did before contact and all its beauty and there seemed to be a sense of, of gratitude for this beauty. And so um, that was what seems to be going on. But also, the Native people have always had a custom uh, belief in singing up the sun, that they play a role, and again, I'll say it again, in the continuation of, the, of creation itself, from the beginning of time to now, without any interruption, and they sing songs themselves of gratitude to help bring the sun up. And I wrote about this in No Word for Time, and I've been writing about it ever since because it has so much relevance and meaning. Like if people say, well, why don't you stop and find out if it's really you bringing up the sun? And there's answers, well, who would be crazy enough to do that? Because if it didn't come up, we'd all be in trouble. <laughs> That's right. That's absolutely right. I um, came back from Peru this year, and the mythology there is so much about the puma, the snake, and the condor. And the condor is considered that bird that carries the physical into the ethereal and the heavens. And it seems like birds are that. They're that 
connection, perhaps, between our physical self and that uh, ethereal self or or the spirit world? Is that the significance of most birds, or is that simply the significance um, in certain cultures for certain birds? Mm, that's a good question, too. Uh, yes, in a sense, it's true of all birds, because birds uh, you know, bring messages from spirit, and they have wings, which kind of puts them in a category with angels, and actually birds did probably come first, because angels are human, human-like. And certain birds have more of that connotation. However, all birds have uh, associations with spirit because when the shamans or the medicine men, if you will, in, in this continent, leave their bodies in the spiritual journey, they, it's as if they're flying. And in fact, they are flying in a way in the movement of the spirit because the spirit does move during a spiritual experience. And it flies like a bird. And so birds have been symbols in art for, for the movement of spirit. And uh, so this is seen in various places, and I have seen burials, uh, ancient ones, where there's a bird placed in the mouth of the departed in the grave. And there really always seems to be one way to interpret that, is to, to help the person's spirit to leave the body and to go to these realms. Nonetheless, there are certain birds that are considered gifted in terms of that. And all four of the gatekeepers are such birds. Like, for example, in my book, the first section is divided into four parts. The four gatekeepers are the eagle in the north, the hawk in the east, the crow in the south, and the owl in the west. These four birds are specifically gifted in terms of bringing people into the spirit world. But there are other birds, too. But these are four that everybody in the native world seems to honor that way. There's no disagreement. I'd like to go deeper into that. In our next segment, we're going to take a quick commercial break. Pairing scholarly research with more than 200 first-hand accounts of bird encounters from traditional Native Americans and their descendants, Evan Pritchard explores the living spiritual tradition surrounding birds in Native American culture. He examines in depth the birds known as the gatekeepers of four directions, eagle in the north, hawk in the east, crow in the south, and owl in the west including their roles in legends and the use of their feathers in shamanic rituals. He reveals how the eagle can be a direct messenger of the Creator, why crows gather in crow councils, and how shamans have the ability to travel inside of birds even after death. Expanding his study to the wisdom and gifts of birds beyond the four gatekeepers, such as hummingbirds, seagulls, and mythical thunderbirds, he provides numerous examples of everyday bird sign interpretations that can be applied in your own encounters with birds, as well as the ways we can help protect birds, and encourage them to communicate with us. Evan Pritchard has taught Native American studies at Pace University, Vassar College, and Marist College, and he is the director of the Center for Algonquin Culture. You can find out more about him at www.algonquinculture.org. And while you're there, take a look at the event that's coming up on October 26th at 5 p.m. at Woodstock Library. We'll be right back with Evan Pritchard. This is the 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444... 
People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Seek greater awareness. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. If you'd like to join today's discussion, please call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5795. Again, 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to info at believesc.com. Now back to 1111 Talk Radio with Simran Singh. I am here with Evan Pritchard, and we are talking about bird medicine. Birds are our strongest allies in the natural world, and they're revered in Native American spirituality and shamanic traditions around the world. They're known as teachers, guardians, and role models, along with many other things, and they carry messages and warnings from loved ones and the spirit world. They are some of the signs that are so subtle, and they can also be very, very dramatic, often allowing even the skeptic to start to wonder if the birds are actually trying to tell them something. You can find out more about Evan Pritchard and his other books, including Native New Yorkers and No Words for Time, at algonquinculture.org, but today's show is devoted to bird medicine, the sacred power of bird shamanism. So we were talking about the four directions and those four birds, and before we get into that, you mentioned something about um, birds being placed in the mouth of those at burial sites, and I could see how that would be the, the, the bird helping the soul to fly. Uh, into the spirit world, and I have many friends who say that when someone passes on, a certain bird will constantly show up, and that signifies who um, who has just left them. You write in here that birds are the embodiments of souls, and so uh, is, is that something that has always been believed by Native Americans, and, and do people come back to us through birds in that way? Do people come back as birds? Do they do they uh, illustrate themselves or send messages through the birds by appearing repeatedly, as some individuals believe, uh, if a mother has passed on, that a cardinal keeps showing up or, or mm-hmm. something of that sort? Yeah, well, in answer to the first question, some of the burials that I've seen with the bird, uh, that I've seen not in person but photographs of, and uh, come from the earliest times that we still have. Like, for example, one burial was 10,000 years old. Another one was of a similar age. So uh, I would say it's hard to interpret it any other way, that, you know, these are the earliest people that we still can look at. Of course, there remains. And again, I apologize if anybody's offended by that. I didn't dig them up. I don't do any archaeology, but I can't help but seeing photos from archaeologists. And it's like these are the oldest 
burials we have that we know about in the birds in the mouth. And it seems to be clear what that means. So there's that ancient uh, connection. Also, paintings in Europe have shown the same thing. Um, so, yeah, the, they're very spiritual, uh, you know, just in the fact that they fly. They do embody that quality of spirit, which is free, and flies through the air to the heavenly realm. Or the, uh, you know, there's the, the sky realm is one associated with the freedom of the soul and the light of the sun. And there are other two other realms, as you know, both the underground and then the surface. Um, now, in terms of certain people using the same bird, yeah, that seems to be the case. And um, it seems like every bird species is used by somebody as their bird. And I mentioned that the meadowlark was used by uh, the king of Wales in the 1400s, and he had bird medicine. He was European. And uh, it's almost like every bird is somehow gets to play an important role. Uh, my uh, grandfather was Micmac, apparently used as a seagull, because uh, my first bird experience, I don't know you were going to ask, my first bird experience was at a certain spot on the main coastline. I was walking along the surf, and a uh, seagull came down and dropped a very large fish at my feet from the sky. So it went right by my head, and that got my attention. And it took me 45 years to find out that that spot was exactly where my grandfather used to do ceremony. Wow. And he was getting my attention, so I believe seagulls seem to be his bird. Um, so there's hardly any bird that isn't used by somebody as their calling card, their messenger. And so the, answer, the stories would be in the hundreds. And in the book, I have to say, after I finished the book, I look back at the 200 or so stories, and I realized that quite a number of them involved uh, messengers of someone dying. And they're not negative. They're not scary. They're just beautiful. It's like, hey, I'm having a good time. I'm still here. We're still together. You know, it's great. Don't don't weep for me. It just allows us to understand that there's such a oneness beyond what we believe ourselves to be as individualized beings. And there's such yes. a connection even beyond the, the human physical. We, we really have this connection to all aspects of life that are out there, whether it be plants or, or birds or anything, that there's some, some communication and connection that's going on there. Let me say that, to you know, it's hard to convey without someone reading the book how dramatic the stories are. Um, but I would say that writing the book and seeing what I've seen while writing the book in terms of birds has convinced me more than any other experience that we survive um, the experience we call death. And very consciously, because the bird, the stories are just so clear that they're only explainable, at least in my mind, by the possibility of life after death. And, Absolutely. you know, so it's changed me. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree with that as well. You talk about four specific birds in the four directions. And mm -hmm. if we look at the north, the eagle is considered the gatekeeper uh, of the North. Talk about the significance of each of these birds and also the significance that they relate to in terms of the direction. Okay, well, the, the eagle is said, the people say, you know, the, the push people, the ones out there in the fields, say that uh, the bird is on, the eagle's on top of the wheel in the North because he's the king of the birds. And, of course, the golden eagle is the most powerful bird in North America, corresponding with the condor that you mentioned in the south of another wheel. And that's not our, I won't go into that, but it's related to the vultures, but which we respect. 
and especially the Cherokee do. Eagles in the north because the golden eagle is clearly the chief of the birds. It's, nobody can attack the, that chief very well, uh, I say, defends himself and helps others. And then the, uh, the hawk has the red tail. Usually, I mean, not all hawks, but some red-tailed hawks obviously do. And the red is the color of, for our eastern Algonquins at least, when the sun comes up over the ocean. It comes up bright red, and it makes a red road across the ocean, across the waves. I noticed just the other day that the moon came up in the east and also makes a golden road across the waves. And I was swimming, actually, in the Hudson River. I don't tell anybody. But uh, it came right up to me, and I bathed in that golden light. Uh, mm. But the red is important, and the hawk has that red. And the hawk tells us where our life is going. All the hawk messages are either warnings or encouragements to our journey in life. And so uh, the eastern direction is where the sun comes up and signals the future. And then in the south, you have the crow. And in fact, there's a Mexican crow that's very significant. And there's ravens and crows in the south. And they're storytellers. And they're also warning birds, as everybody knows. They warn all the species, but they're having to do with communication because uh, they're gifted at speech and storytelling and actually, uh, you know, various helpful ways. And so we associate those things with the South in my wheel, the one I was grown up with. Now, <clears throat> the owl has associations with death, as I guess is pretty universal, especially among Native Americans, but... Again, I want to emphasize that it's not negative, that it's not that they cause anybody to die. That's pretty silly, really, I think. But they are messengers of death. And when somebody dies who doesn't maybe have just one species of messenger, the owl will come because the owl is for everyone. And we all know that the owl brings messages from the underworld. Uh, Also, from the unconscious world of dreams, because, you know, their eyes are like the moons, you know. And they're associated with night, you know, which is the time of going within. So the owl is quite a respectable bird. And I think I've read some anthropology where certain, how you say, uh, sorcerers have tried to use the owl to harm people. And, you know, that's very unfortunate because the owl doesn't deserve that. But uh, all those birds are gatekeepers to the spirit world. But there are many other birds that are also able to bring us into the spirit world, and almost all of them at one point. Uh, in various ways. So it's like you need to look at the specific stories and specific elders will tell you certain things. And they do seem to be consistent uh, uh, pretty much at least across North America. When you talk about birds bringing us into the spirit world, that could mean um, as someone passing, but that could also mean perhaps in dreams because we are entering another realm that is another type of experience. So is that a shamanic experience that we're having, and is the bird's significance in a dream equal to that of physically seeing one? Yes, I would say that the the bird we see in a dream is equal to the one we see in this world because if we're living in dream time, this world is a dream world. And it doesn't mean you get everything you want. It means that, you know, everything has direct significance to your unfoldment. And sometimes could be very symbolic. <clears throat> Some events are. And so the birds we see in our physical life, we might want to see them as if we saw them in a dream. And the birds we see in a dream, we want to see almost as if we saw them physically. Um, mm. But and, and both those help broaden our perspectives 
Uh, but yeah, the birds we dream about are, are very, very significant. And I'm not and sure so, there's more to your question. I think I missed well, something. And so often when we see birds, I mean, birds are light and color and sound just like we are, and, and they illustrate that even more so through their color and their sound. Um, what does that sound signify? Do you think those are tones that are feeling? Is it more of just speaking? Is there a greater significance to the types of sounds that are coming through different birds? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, nobody asked me that, but the sounds of certain birds sound like our own speech, and I believe from what I've researched that that also seems to be a form of divination that, uh, you know, Sitting Bull was a great mystic, and, and bird, he had the quote-unquote bird medicine like nobody else, and he wrote songs about birds that people still sing. And he had the uh, part of the Thunderbird, uh, you know, he had Thunderbird medicine as well, which is a whole other powerful thing. But he could communicate with a number of species of birds, and he felt, you know, that they sometimes spoke in his own language, especially he said the meadowlark speaks to us in our own language, so certainly you don't harm the meadowlark. Um, there are other stories, like the Ojibwe, see the robin is speaking in, in Ojibwe, but when I hear birds, especially wrens, I hear them and I can kind of interpret English, um, you know, English phrases in them that are messages for me. And you have to do this somewhat with a sense of humor, but sometimes uh, they do seem to be speaking, and it's funny. I mean, there's a whole section in the book about that, and it has a different taste than the rest of the book because it's somewhat humorous. But you know, there's a oven bird says pizza, and so you know, how can you ignore that? Go out and get a piece of pizza, you know. But sometimes they have mysterious messages that are unique. And one of the stories that I tell is about when Joseph Campbell died, who was who developed a lot of what we today think of as you know, understanding shamanism. Um, but there was the Joseph Campbell Foundation being formed, and I wanted to be a part of it, and his wife, Jean, was organizing it. And I talked to her on the phone. I said, I don't know how much to give. You have these rich people and poor people. I don't know. Can't decide. She says, what would the Micmac do? I said, well, I'm Micmac. So, you know, we would go out to the base of a tree and put down tobacco, and we'd ask for a message from Spirit about how much to give. But it's funny, because I said, well, this is money, though, and... You know, our ancestors didn't have that. She said, try it anyway, and call me back. So I went right outside, and, you know, within seconds, I put the back of the base of the tree, and a blue jay came up and sat right in front of my face, and he said, 60! 60! Mm -hmm. And I said to the bird, you mean I'm supposed to give $60 to the Joseph Campbell Foundation? And he looked at me again, he said, 50! And then he flew away, so I went to the phone, and I called Jean, and she said, yeah, that's your answer. Send $60, we'll be fine. So that's humorous, but at the same time, that's what happened, and I did follow that direction, and it was a good answer. So thanks to that blue jay. But those things happen more frequently than you think. That sound, oh. in terms of the sound of the birds as healing, that's rather esoteric, and I think you're right. I think the sound of the hawk's cry has tremendous emotional impact, and it's deliberate. And, I th and of course, the thrush, the wood thrush, the hermit thrush, I mean, these sounds are hypnotizing and put you in another state of consciousness, as a number of great thinkers have mentioned, uh, even in the white world. So, yeah, it goes on and on. Well, I think the sound is very important, but in terms of a system, I don't know what that is, and I don't know if anybody has ever wrote about that. 
Birds have been associated with incredible variety of sounds. In Grant Foreman's book, Sequoia, he quotes Samuel Lorenzo Knapp, a lawyer and statesman, in an article published in the Cherokee Phoenix. From the cries of wild beasts, from the talents of the mockingbird, and the voices of his children and his companions, he knew that the feelings and passions were conveyed by different sounds from one intelligent being to another. The thought struck him to ascertain that all sounds are in the Cherokee language. His own ear was not remarkably discriminating, and he called to his aid the more acute ears of his wife and children. He found great assistance from them. When he thought that he had distinguished all from different sounds in their language, he attempted to use his pictorial sounds, images of birds and beasts, to convey those sounds to others or to make them mark of his own. It's not surprising that a keen observer of life like Sequoia would see a link between human speech and bird song and use that insight to create the first alphabet or syllabary for the Cherokee language. This is from the book Bird Medicine, The Sacred Power of Bird Shamanism by Evan Pritchard. He is a descendant of the Nemec people and has taught Native American studies at several colleges and universities. He is the director of the Center for Algonquin Culture, and you can find out more about him at www.algonquinculture.org. Find out also about his books, Native New Yorkers, No Word for Time, and Bird Medicine, The Sacred Power of Bird Shamanism. We'll be right back with Evan Pritchard. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. www.1111mag.com 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. If you'd like to join today's discussion, please call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5795. Again, 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to info at believesc.com. Now back to 1111 Talk Radio with Simran Singh. Traditional Native Americans have considered birds their allies for at least 10,000 years. Birds bring many blessings and play many roles in the life of indigenous people. They are messengers, healers, communicators, guardians, life changers, teachers, meteorologists, musicians, storytellers, and more. Few books have ever been published that even mention this fact, 
yet nothing could be more important to the Native American people. So Evan Pritchard decided that he needed to create a book, and he interviewed them about their spiritual relationship with the birds. There is a significance of the shamanic rituals, the powwows, the feathers, the the spirit world, and all of the many ways that birds communicate through sound. This would be the living spiritual tradition surrounding the relationships that Native people have today cultivating this with living birds, and it is the key to understanding Native culture. He is the author of Bird Medicine, the Sacred Power of Bird Shamanism, in addition to two other books, No Word for Time and Native New Yorkers. You can find out more at his website, which is algonquinculture.org, and while you're there, you can look up the events that are going on. His next event is October 26th at 5 p.m. at Woodstock Library. Welcome back, Evan. I'd love to go into... Um, some of the other birds and what some of them signify that we perhaps see uh, more often from time to time. I know that I often see hummingbirds, and I know that cardinals can be another type of bird that people see pretty frequently. Is there a certain general message that each bird has, and then how do we intuit the deeper message that the bird is bringing uh, to us specifically? Well, the in order to fully understand the signs of the birds and the messages, it, there's quite a number of factors. One is that you have to really be open and loving towards them so that they'll trust you because, of course, all the animals pick up on that and birds do too. And you'd have to have some exposure to the, you know, the teachings about the different species and what they mean, and which you get through the elders of the Native American cultures that have been uh, still intact. And also the opportunity to experience wild birds. And even in the city, you can experience wild birds, uh, but it's a little easier out in the forest. Uh, these are all factors that make it more likely. Plus, sometimes it takes uh, days to figure out what the message means and uh, some time to wait for it to come. So it's not instantaneous. You can't pay a bird to give you a message. And then that's the beauty of it, because it's still the same way. It's done the same way it was 10,000 years ago, and it's something you can do. And um, so in the book, I convey what some of the species tend to mean. Like, for example, uh, I didn't really know that the grouse was a healing and protecting bird, but there's stories about the grouse, and they, they kind of match, and that... Uh, one case, I was speeding on the way to a radio broadcast with a bird expert and uh, who really cared about birds, and we were coming around a mountain turn, and this, you know, this grouse came and crashed into my car and was, you know, she screamed. We stopped the car right away, and she went out and resuscitated the bird and the big, you know, to do, and was very upset that I had been driving so fast and resuscitated the bird and put it on the side of the road, and then we traveled on. We turned the corner, and there was a tractor-trailer, an 18-wheeler had been flipped over, had hit uh, power lines and brought them down across the road. And of course, if it wasn't for that that little bird, I don't know where I'd be today. But mm. an, another grouse story, which matches it, is from an elder, um, Eddie Stevenson, and I'll make this one short, but the long story is in the book. It's a beautiful story, but he's an elder, and he his wife said, put those boxes up on the top of the attic there, on the top of the garage. Climb up that ladder, and I'll be right back. And so he's trying to put the boxes up, go up the ladder, and he puts his foot on the first one, and the, the grouse comes over and pecks him on the ankle. And he says, well you know, i, I got to do this job, excuse me, and he goes, puts the other foot up, and the uh, grouse bites the ankle, and so he can't climb 
the ladder. So the bird comes up on him and looks in his right eye and his left eye and on his head, and then pecks, pecks on his on his chest. And then his wife comes out. How come the boxes aren't up on the attic? He says, "Well, this bird visited me and he won't let me climb up." She said, "Well, we got to see your uncle Harry, and he knows about birds because he has the bird medicine." So they jumped in their car and drove to Canada where this fellow is on a reservation and living traditionally, and he hears the story, and he says, you're sick. And Eddie Stevenson says, well, not really. He said, yeah, yeah, the bird's telling you, you got to go see a doctor. So he goes to see a doctor and drives all the way back to New York. He's the doctor. doctor says, you know, doctor looks in his right eye, looks in his left eye, and then pumps him on the chest. He says, you're sick. You have a heart condition. You should take it easy and get lots of rest, and whatever you do, don't climb any ladders. So Eddie goes back to the same spot, and the grouse shows up again, you know, looks in the eye. He says, well, thank you for healing me, and uh, thank you for all your help. So the grouse kind of nods and then flies away and has never been seen again. And that's how the grouse fills that that idea that the grouses are healers and, and protectors. Because, you know, you just talk to people who have the connection with the birds, and they'll tell you that certain species have those roles. In terms of hummingbirds, the Mayans say that they uh, announce when a warrior has died or fallen in battle. And I was talking to a Micmac, and we now have hummingbirds. We didn't used to, but suddenly they're showing up. And a certain Micmac elder lady was talking at the funeral of her own husband, and she was telling me the story. And people were pointing at her, and she didn't know why. It turns out there was a hummingbird that was fluttering around behind her ears, during her entire eulogy. It's very unusual, especially up in Micmac territory. So she told me the story. She says, what does it mean? I said, let me ask you a question. Was your husband in the military? Was he a warrior? She said, yeah, he was an army officer with a high rank. <laughs> He's all life in the army, so he was a warrior. I said, well, that's it, because the hummingbirds announced the death of passing of a warrior. Uh, but I didn't, you know, it's like these things are coming, the information is coming out. And we get so close to losing this information. So it's good that I guess I got around to writing this book um, when I did, because some of this, I think, is vanishing over the generations, like that knowledge, you know, of what these birds mean. That it all well, and and that's together. the beauty that we, we do need to preserve. And I think by us understanding how we can tap more deeply into that, it's something that we can pass to our children. So that begs the question of how do we open up the invitation to have a greater communication with birds, and then how do we turn around and reciprocate that um, other than just giving gratitude? How do we serve them in the way that they are serving us? Well, yeah, that's a good question. I would say that there are people that don't seem to have that connection with birds, and there is a way to develop it. Uh, You don't have to be born with it, but I think to start with putting out food for them, uh, it seems to open up a lot of people because then they know who's putting out the food. They'll figure it out, and then they'll try to reach you, especially if you stop feeding them. They'll, they'll find you and say, wait, what happened? <laughs> and uh, and feeding them, for example, like, for example, this, I'll tell this story about a Nisikog young boy who would kind of take the uh, the shrimp from the Chinese food that his mother brought home, and he'd put it in his pockets and go out and feed it to the seagulls. And, you know, 15 years later, he was in college, and he dropped an expensive pen that was a gift from his uncle, the chief, and a 
seagull, the same seagull, 15 years older, grabs the pen, flies over his head, and drops it onto his books that he's holding in his in his arms, and then he holds up the pen, he realizes what's going on, and he holds the pen up and says, thank you, Seagull. The Seagull remembered that same boy from mm. all those years. So it starts by doing, you know, by feeding the birds, um, you know, in a respectful way. But also, uh, I believe in uh, Native American prayer is effective and asking for certain harmless uh, gifts of spirit so that we become more wise. I think it's good to pray for more wisdom and insight and rather than for a Ferrari or a Lamborghini. And so asking spirit, you know, to connect you with birds, I think that that will help because it seems like when birds bring messages, they're bringing it from something greater than themselves because they themselves really don't have a lot of, you know, interest. <laughs> you know, they, they have like just a sense of service, I guess. Um, so asking spirit, to connect you more with birds, I think would be effective because that's what they apparently are doing. And uh, so that's that's what I can say because these are wild birds. They're not uh, caged. When you cage a bird, it's very hard for them to send messages, by the way. This their One movement. other thing that I have noticed, too, that it feels as if birds are here to uh, give a message of is we always see them in groups. They tend to fly together. They tend to sit together. They tend to be together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've rarely seen birds just alone or lonely. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what what is the significance of that community that birds have or that they're trying to illustrate to us as well? Well, the Native Americans um, thousands of years ago looked to birds as role models, and a lot of the customs that some Native people have are from birds. Uh, some burial practices uh, there's some courtship practices that are from birds. It's actually quite a long list. And, uh, you know, so we've always learned from them. And in terms of community, uh, crows, for example, uh, don't have teeth, so they have to eat meat in uh, cooperation with each other as teams, which is really quite remarkable to see. A number have, have commented, but they, they have to pull together, you know, literally to eat meat. And uh, also, the crow will encourage um, some hunters to hunt. It's a long story, but then because so they can have a piece of the meat. Um, but also, crows gather in council, and when they do, the native elders, often the clan mothers, will say, "So yes, we will now gather in council too." So they do as the birds do, and they uh, look to them for signs as to how to be more effective as a community. So they're literally reading it off the page like this morning's headlines. So community is very important, and it will be more important, I think, in our society. And it certainly has always been important to Native people. And uh, so it's not just this, uh, you know, lonely journey of the shaman and love alone in his cave. You know, that's another thing why the word shaman maybe has these unfair connotations, because it's something you do naturally, happily, throughout the day with other people and family members, you know, doing a ritual here and there, as the birds do. So you're right. It's it's not a solitary experience, generally. It can be very uh, much a group thing. And we the have other, trouble today with that. The other thing that I find with birds uh, that, that I feel is, is such a necessary message to society today, because we've gotten so, so serious, is it seems oftentimes like the birds are laughing. Like their sounds are actually 
um, laughing and joyful and, and that type of, of expression. Do, do birds have a sense of humor? Are they here to also show us that we need to tap into the lighter side and the sense of humor that we are to carry? Well, that's a really good question. That's not, it's, there are examples, I think, in the book, but I don't stress it. But, yes, I've come to think that woodpeckers make a sound that really does sound like laughter. Uh, Woody, Woody Woodpecker notwithstanding, I think it's true. There's a certain sound that sounds just like a laugh at certain times for the woodpeckers. And it's a happy sound. And also, yeah, they're often clowns and, and do funny things. And play little jokes, and uh, so I'd say the answer is definitely yes. Birds are light-hearted, as a rule. I think that uh, they have to be, or they couldn't fly. They say that some people say the turkey is called the ground eagle because he's so you know serious, and it's like can't get off the ground, you know. <laughs> but uh, I don't know if that's true. But I, in terms of what birds are the most playful, I mean parakeets and parrots are very playful. They're clown-like. They're happy. They're also very, very affectionate. And they do a lot of kissing, like lovebirds are related to parrots. They're just very loving, affectionate creatures that we can look to as role models for relationships, in fact. They're very funny. <laughs> and we could all use a little bit more of that. So as right. we as we wind down the last few minutes of the show, I would love to talk about what some of the threats are that are, are out there for our birds and what we can do possibly to support these birds that are giving us our signs and symbols and how we can influence uh, other people to help care for them as well. Wow. Well, there's two parts of the bird medicine. One is that they are such important medicine for us, we could hardly... Native Americans rely on birds for ceremony and for healing and messages, and yet they're in trouble. And... Uh, you know, there's just this year, recently, in the last two years, important events like CO2 passed 400 parts per million, first time in 800,000 years, and this is related to climate change, which is affecting the birds because now they're going further north, but then they're missing their connections with their food sources way up north, so it's not necessarily a good thing. Also, they're experiencing hurricanes, droughts, and floods, which can be fatal, but also we had the BP oil spill, and I found that BP oil from the Gulf of Mexico showed up inside crane eggs in Minnesota, mm. which just shows you, and not very long, it didn't take long, because, you know, all the birds are, are related for long distances like that. And also cell towers are featured in the book as a uh, source of harm to birds, uh, and that uh, also fracking, there's a story, a report from Onondaga's, Onondaga Nation, that fracking impacts 40 of New York State's 136 important bird areas, and the effects of the waters is bad. But going back to uh, the electromagnetic radiations from cell towers, they drive the birds away if they can get away, or they drive them into holes where they seek refuge from the pain of the electromagnetic frequencies, and they can't leave. They become prisoners. Mainly, they lose direction. Migratory birds will lose direction when they enter into an electromagnetic field from most angles, or maybe half the angles, uh, because they have magnetism in their eyes and different chemicals that are affected in their eyes and in their head. The radiation from the electromagnetic radiation confuses them so they can't mate or build nests in some cases. We see that with storks. 
they usually build these beautiful nests, and when they're in one of these fields, they start to argue like the Bickersons, you know, and they fight, and then they can't remember how to build the nest, and then the eggs drop anyway. Also, direct killing by hitting the, the cell phone towers, reducing the fertility of eggs and the number of eggs each generation, also reducing their food supply because it's harming the mice and the bugs and cripples their legs and their wings, and it discolors their feathers, probably because the oils are drying up inside of them. So those are pretty serious things. There's 10 things to identify that uh, cause birds harm from cell towers. So we have a lot to do that we need to uh, take care of our birds with. At the end of the book, you you talk about how uh, when you felt like you finished the book that the birds were not necessarily finished with you, and I'd love for you to share the story of the bird that was visiting you at that time. Well, there were some, you talked about the hawk, the red tail, or the meadowlark? The meadowlark. Oh, yeah, I finished with the book, I'd sent it off, and sat down outside, you know, to doodle on some office work, and it was a very beautiful day, and it was all about Native Americans, and then this meadowlark came and sat over me and started saying it sounded like, so there you are, so there you are. And it's a meadowlark, like I hadn't seen a meadowlark. What is this, you know, what's the meaning of it? And I couldn't think of it at first. And I realized that my my father was not Native American, he was Welsh. And uh, he really liked the uh, this piece by Ray Fun Williams called the, uh, you know, what's it called, the, the lark. Ascending, and we always listened to that. And then he took me to Wales on this trip and went to these different castles, and I realized that all the castles belonged to Owen Glendower at one glorious point in Welsh history, and that he had bird medicine, and that the lark was his bird that gave him messages to help him win these battles for Wales. And that it all came together was like, okay, all these Native Americans, but in fact Europeans, such as my dad, also had a relationship with birds and could apparently summon them. So his one, one of Several birds that he visited us with after he died was was the uh, or me was the meadowlark because it's a symbol of Wales. So that was like one more little uh, little Bronx cheer from the birds. Like okay, sometimes it's European. It's not just Native American. But as I said, shamanism shows up all over the world, but it shows up in different forms. And I think that like I say my feeling is the Native American uh, understanding of bird shamanism is is very profound and also very much of everyday life. And again, like you pointed out, it's not always solitary. It's often communal. So those are some of the differences, but it certainly would never say that Native Americans have a corner on bird shamanism. Everybody can have bird medicine. So it's all about connecting the dots and allowing the dots to show up so that we can connect them. I want to thank you, Evan, for being on 1111 Talk Radio and bringing your bird medicine to the audience to allow them to understand how they can now tap into these signs and symbols and messages in addition to supporting our birds and giving gratitude for the many messages. My guest next week is going to be Rasha, his new book and her new book, A Journey to Oneness. So definitely join me then. In addition, uh, get your free subscription to 1111 Magazine, My Gift to Humanity, that appears every other month. Uh, This particular year, we will have an additional six issues on the Rebel Road so that you can follow along and meet all of the interesting people that are meeting along the way on the tour. So continue connecting with me at Simran-Singh.com. In love, of love, with love, and as love, I'm Simran Singh. Be well. 
Thank you for stepping into the doorway of conscious choice with 1111 Talk Radio. Please join host Simran Singh again next Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time for another enlightening edition here on the 7th Wave Network. Remember, shift happens. We'll be right back. 